If you have your Bibles, which we hope you do because we stress this week after week uh, to be bringing your Bibles because the Word of God shapes us and it shapes community. If you have your Bibles, would you open those up to James chapter 1? And if for some odd reason you don't have your Bible, there's one right in the back of that pew right in front of you. We want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, mark them up, and uh, take notes, and there's an outline furnished for you. You know, one of the things that I used to do, and I, I did this with my junior high small group, my junior high boys small group, I purchased a plant. And each week we took turns taking that plant home and taking care of that plant. But I had one rule. The only way that you could water your plant that week and the only way that you could put your plant in the sunshine was if you yourself spent word in the time of God and in prayer. And the, and the Word of God and in prayer. And so it was really remarkable to watch the life of that poor plant as junior high boy after boy would take it home and a week later return it. Sometimes it would be green and lustrous and other times leaves were falling off, brown, charred. But it was a way for me to be able to help them understand that the Word of God must come into the soil of our hearts and fertilize it toward righteous and redemptive living. And that was one exercise we did. But let me ask you this question. Why study the Word of God? I want you to dialogue with me on this in your mind. Why study the Word of God? The classic answer to that question is so that we would know God more. Let me read you a story to help you understand where we're going to be going today. Chuck Swindoll wrote this in his book, Improving Your Serve. Would you listen to this? Let's pretend that you work for me, Chuck writes. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. But to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly, and I will give you direction, and I will give you instructions. I leave you, but you stay. And months pass. And a flow of letters are mailed to Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. And in those letters, I spell out my expectations. And finally, I return. And soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office and I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. And I walk into the receptionist's room and she's sitting there with doing her nails and, and uh, chewing gum and listening to her radio station. And I look around and notice that all the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks. And nobody seems concerned that the owner of the company has returned. So I ask about your whereabouts and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. And so I ask you to step into my office, which has temporarily been made into a TV room. What in the world is going on? I ask. What do you mean? Well, look at this place. 
Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, sure. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we had letter study every Friday night since you left. We have even divided all the personnel into small groups and we've discussed the many things that you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and some paragraphs. And there's even a couple of us that have memorized whole letters. Great stuff in those letters. Okay. I said, you got my letters, you studied them, and you meditated on them, you even discussed and memorized them, but listen, but what did you do about them? Uh, Do? We didn't do anything about them. Why study the Word of God? The answer given... Right before that story, classically, is so that we would know God. But friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, that is an incomplete answer. It is to know our God and to live out that knowledge in good works. But you might say, but Pastor Tim, we're a church that believes in grace. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Sola fide. What do you mean works? Works certainly can't save anybody. Salvation was never by works, but friends, listen, works give evidence of yours and my salvation. Second Timothy 3 answers the question, why study the word of God? All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God, why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for Bible studies for preaching, for leading your friends through Romans Road, all of those things. But this text says equipped for every good work. So why study the Word of God? So that we can know God and live it out through good works all around us. The result of studying the Bible should be righteous living. Friends, I want you to write this down. I want you to write that quote down. The results of studying the Bible should be righteous living. You see in your outline, I put in there, and this is from a a man down at Biblical Seminary, Dr. Dunbar. He writes, the goal is not to apply the Bible to your life, but friends, listen, but to apply your life to the Bible. Two weeks ago, the sermon was about living by the word of God. And in that sermon, I taught us and we saw that James was telling us to listen attentively so that we could promptly respond in obedience to speak less randomly. That's what James taught us two weeks ago and more from reasoning through something before it comes out of our lips. Having thought through our words and to look deeply at our hearts, getting rid of the moral filth that is displeasing to God so that we can pursue a righteous life, living by the word of God. This week, we're going to learn what it means to live out 
the Word of God. And you know what? There's two responses. Every, every time you come to, to this church or any church and you hear a Bible-saturated message, there's one of two responses that you can make. Every time you open up your Bible at home and you study the Word of God in private devotion, there's two responses that you can make. And I'm going to give you both this morning. James outlines them. Number one, listening without obeying. Listening without obeying. Look what James says in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, most of the audience to whom James was writing, a lot of people do not know this, but most of the people were not reading the word of God. They did not have printing presses. They did not have uh, personal autographed copies of all of these letters. You see, the letters would be copied and disseminated, passed out to all the churches. So the pastors at each church would take James's letter and just like this, they would read it to the people. The people didn't have copies of letters to take home to them. So when we keep hearing James talk about listening and, and how I say it, listening redemptively, is because they didn't have access to these letters to read them. Exposure to God's word for James's people were through was through repeatedly hearing it. So here we go with this word listen. Here it is again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What does that word listen mean? Well, it's interesting in the Greek what it means. It means to sit passively in an audience as one does at a play or a concert. You see, this is why, friends, listen, this is why I'm always asking you to interact with me in your mind. I want to be provocative at times in a right way. I want you to have to think. I want the word of God to strike you and you say, well, man, you know, I'm not sure. I agree with that. I've got to go study this. Or I want you to say, no, Pastor Tim, I never thought of it like that before in your mind. I want you to, to sit actively and listen. But James says, do not merely sit passively without engaging it in your mind. Don't sit there like you would at a concert thinking nothing. If it was used today, it would be used in a way to describe somebody who audits a class at a college. You know, I, I went to college, I went to graduate work, and there was almost always somebody in that class that was auditing that class. To so audit the class, you pay a fraction of the price that somebody pays for full credits. And what they do is when the person who audits it is not accountable to hand in the papers or take the exams. I always was jealous about the people auditing because I am killing myself writing these papers and studying for these exams. And here they are. They get to listen to all this profound teaching, but they don't have to do anything about it. Friends, that's exactly what this word means. It is to listen without any accountability, to listen passively. It is to come to church, which week after week we have people that do, or read your Bible during the week without your life being altered in some way. If you read the Bible and you hear a God-saturated, Bible-saturated sermon and you walk away from that being unchanged, then you've listened passively. To listen with account without accountability is to lead ourselves, James says, into deception. Look what it says. 
says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Friends, there's people all around us that listen without obeying and where that moves you is into self-deception. To deceive yourselves means that some were reasoning themselves into a false security. This is what James is saying. I can't say it any less directly. If you come to the word of God time after time after time and you do not obey it, it does not change you. Friends, James would agree and say you cannot be a believer. We don't like hearing that. In mathematics, a word deceive means to miscalculate. This is describing, James is describing people that have somehow managed to hear this letter being spoken, but they heard it, they listened to it passively without any intention to actually apply and make changes to what the word of God was saying. And so they miscalculated their own salvation. Going to church, hearing the sermon can lull a person into a false sense of assurance that is all is right with their soul, which, friends, is a serious miscalculation. Can I speak to you from my heart for a minute? As a pastor, there is a sense of responsibility. The Bible says I keep watch over your souls. There is a sense of accountability I have to make sure that when you hear the word of God, you begin applying it and to speak truly to you when there is no evidence of it. This is what James says. The word of God should be changing us. The word of God should be applied in, in immediate, obedient living. And if it's not, time after time after time, that person is deceived. It's my job. It's your job as redemptive tools to move people out of that deception. See, this is what James is fighting against. He's got gobs and gobs of people who were calling themselves believers who were lulled into this deceptive notion that they were followers of Christ, but there was no evidence of obedience in their lives. And so he writes this story. He writes this letter. Matthew 7, we heard it this morning through worship, says, Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does... The will of the Father who is in heaven. It doesn't say, but he who goes to Bible studies, he who reads his Bible, he who has a lot of knowledge of Scripture, it's he who does the will of God who is in heaven, the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, the person that hears the word but does not respond in obedience to it, friends, listen, is no believer if it's time after time after time. James says, do what it says. He's using a word here. He's using a word form here that characterizes the whole person's inner being, all of who he is, all of the heart, the mind, the, the will and the emotions, all of them wrapped into obedient living. Here, here's what he means by this. It's the difference between a part-time soldier and a career enlisted man or woman. It's a difference between someone who does a fix up project in their home and someone who does it for a living every day of the week. This is what James says. Make it your career to do what God says. Make it your ambition. Center yourself around the Bible. The one who does what the word of God says is to be completely dedicated to not only listening to it, but obeying the word of God. So this means, now listen, everybody look, this means for each of us, 
that the gap that tends to be there, for me included, between hearing the Word of God and actually doing the Word of God, that gap must be narrowed and narrowed and narrowed for us to be mature. See, friends, this is what maturity is. It's the theme in the entire book of James. Every chapter in James is talking about maturity. James is the pastor who is moving his people to maturity. But listen, here's what maturity is. It's the knowledge of God that creates righteous living. See, you and I might have thought maturity was not speaking without thinking. Well, that's certainly part of it because God never speaks without thinking. So it takes the character of God and it moves it into righteous living. That's what James defines maturity as. So here's what he's saying is do what it says. Wrap your body around the word of God. Become obedient of what he tells you in it. And then you will be mature. There's a chart on the, uh, the screen behind me. And this is the, the snapshot of the Cornerstone vision. You want to know what our church is about? You're seeing it. Came out of our board retreat in January. But friends, listen, it's no accident that our, at our board retreat last January, we created these three circles. And one of them in the center is the equipping team. This equipping team's job, their central purpose is to make sure, listen, that the word of God is foundational to every single thing we do and to encourage and foster and develop our obedient response to it. That's why the equipping team exists. We know why the mercy team exists, because we need to be ministering to people in our walls. That's why we're asking you to fill out that piece of paper. We know why the community exists, because if this church blinks out of existence, would our community even know we're gone? The church ought to be the salt and the light of the community. So we want to be out there. We want to be loving people with salt and light, with the power of the gospel. But the equipping team's job is foundational. It is to make sure we're wrapped around the Word of God. Friends, let me tell you, this is why we've created, and this is why we're developing the Sunday morning conversation. The Sunday morning conversation is displaced and replaced Sunday school for July and August. It's your opportunity to realize that just listening to a sermon every week is not enough. There's got to be some help in getting it down to your heart and spreading it into your hands and your feet and your mouths so that we live out righteous knowledge of God. So the entire conversation is geared around facilitating discussion, getting support in our lives, praying for one another, figuring out, asking God to show us how do we take what is being preached, what is being taught in the Word of God, how do we take it and apply it in our lives. Friends, we invite you to that morning, either first or second service. Because here's what we learn. Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus is speaking and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it's hearing God's word and putting them into practice, obeying them, which puts your life in security. James goes on in verse 23, says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. See, James is illustrated, first of all, here's what the person looks like who, see, hears God's word but doesn't apply it. Here's what he's describing. 
Pretty soon he's going to describe the person who hears God's word and does do what it says. But here we go. The, the mirror was not even invented. The mirror of glass was not even invented until the 14th century. Prior to that, they made mirrors out of polished metals, brass, bronze, silver, and gold if you're wealthy. The, mirror, the best mirrors were made from Corinth. And while not nearly as clear and as reflective as our glass mirrors are today, they could, if the light was good, give a fairly decent image of your face. But listen, not everybody had mirrors. And so you wouldn't be driving down the road in your chariot and see a lady getting her makeup on on her way to work in the first century like you do today. Or guys listening on their cell phones and talking and trying to do the bills of their landscaping business while they're driving. I've seen these things. It's amazing. I don't even tell you what I've done on my motorcycle. So, we're moving on quickly. The mirrors weren't in existence. So listen, not everybody was familiar with the way that their faces looked. I mean, to us, that's an alien thought. You, you know every defect on your body. Because mirrors are there when you step out of the shower. Mirrors are there when you get in your car. Mirrors and a lot of our homes are there when you come in through the front door. Mirrors are always there so we know intimately everything about us. But back then they didn't have that. So here is a person who listens to the word but does not do what it says and forgets and he explains it. He compares it to a person that looked in one of these polished metal mirrors. But then after, after he left the mirror he forgot what he, what he looked like. The one who looks at his face is one who cautiously, now you gotta get this, this is in the Greek, who cautiously and carefully considers what he looks like. So this is a person, this is what's so ironic about this passage. This person cautiously considers God's word. But I'm gonna tell you in a little, in a minute, there's something else that person should have done. But he cautiously considers and looks at God's word, but listen, listen, he doesn't apply it. He says, you know what, I'll do it next week. You know what, God, thanks for 